On your smart speaker, just say, play WMEX. The greatest hits of all time are back. This is the all-new WMEX. WMEX Boston. After fighting and coaching his way through a storied 47-year professional hockey career, Mike Milbury's gloves are again off for his next chapter as a radio host. Talking about the NHL, the Boston Bruins, and the hockey world at large. Brought to you by Ketchis Law. Since 1986, they've had the backs of every hard-working tradesman in New England who finds themselves injured on the work site. You pay nothing unless they win. So get your free consultation today at catcheslaw.com or by calling 508-321-7000. You are listening to Gloves Off Hockey with your friend Ben Rabinovitz alongside Mike Milbury, our host with the most. Mike, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving first and foremost, buddy. How are you? I'm doing okay. Yeah, it was a good Thanksgiving. Quiet, just four of us here and on the Cape and uh, we've had years where we've had almost 50 in the house but new digs new uh, new Thanksgiving traditions all good so anyway we last chatted was uh, a week ago and the Bruins have had a funky schedule since then Uh, their last game on the road before Thanksgiving was a Wednesday night before Thanksgiving Florida beat them one of their obviously rare losses and then they had uh, Time to have turkey, and then right back at it on Friday, and that was the closest they've came to lose, come to losing at home with Carolina. We'll talk about that in a minute, and also Tampa Bay from a couple nights ago. But they, after Carolina, they had like three days off, and they play Tampa Bay, and now they get uh, another three days off before they play again. That's going to change pretty soon because they're going to hit some iron teams, and things are going to be different. I'm, I'm thinking that Jim Montgomery has given these guys lots of time off, especially the over 35 crowd. And not that there's, they do need it. And it's, it's an important point to consider that during the course of this season, you know, there's a tendency to want to go to your, the great players, Bergeron and Krejci and Marchand and Pasternak, but particularly the guys over 30 and certainly over 35, you got to just watch yourself, but they've created such a, huge early season, you know, record. It's It's been so good that they, he can afford to do that now. And the rest of their lines have played pretty well. Um, but I, when it comes to these days off, it's tough to balance conditioning and rest. I mean, when, when I played, our trainer was Dan Candy. He was also the the medicine man. He was the medical oh trainer. He packed bags and then he, somebody got caught. He brought you into the locker room and you know, he, he didn't do much of the actual medical work. We waited for doctors, but now there's a cast of thousands advising coaches on what they should do, what the optimal plan is for each individual player. And it's it makes a lot of sense, but we'll see what happens with that. But there, they won't have much time to rest for a while, at least up till Christmas after this particular break. But, um, Let's backtrack a bit. Bruins waived Anton Strallman. I don't know that he's reported to Providence. I think he's been assigned. Uh, Derek Forbert came off the IR, so he was available and played last night and played pretty well. Um, and then Riley, of course, has already made the trek to Providence. Not much he can do about that. And I don't – listen, everybody signs a contract, and you know what you're getting into. So is there a pity? Riley makes three and a half. And Strawman makes a million. It's not. It's hard to feel pity for them, but you got to understand that this is not easy. I mean, Felino's gone through it, and he's the ultimate professional in how to handle it. But you know, there's some difficult moments for a guy that has a family like Strawman. I mean, I don't know if his family's around or if he's got a house someplace or they've been waiting to to uh, see what happens. But I mean, there's a lot of things to deal with as well as the you know the the pain of actually feeling that, that, that they don't want you anymore. Uh, incredible upheaval. And this is, but you signed up for it, and it's, but it's impactful. I, I remember my second year, you know, talking about impactful. I got called in by, by Don Cherry, and I was told to get a place. The next day I was called in by Harry Sinnon and said, forget about getting that place. I mean, so the game does run some emotional roller coasters, and for those guys, it's, it's tough. But you got to 
you got to perceive as a general manager and a coach what these things do to the dynamic of your team. I mean, some of these guys have been friends with Riley. Some of these guys are probably got to know Strawman either from his trip here or from previous uh, previous encounters along the way. Um, it's it's just it's an interesting business, and the coach has to be particularly acute to how the dynamic in the locker room is impacted by these moves, and particularly when it comes to something as significant as clearing waivers or a trade. What else happened this week? Linus Hallmark, back and healthy, didn't play, didn't need to play last night. Uh, everything seems to be pretty close to perfect. Maybe the penalty kill has lost its way a little bit. Streak nearly came to an end against Carolina. They coughed up a 2 nothing lead. Who knows if it was a little bit of a longer break than they're used to. Um, but they came right back and scored to tie it up and send it to overtime where Carolina took a brain cramp penalty, too many men on the ice, and Postonok sealed it with a missile. And then I was interested to see what would happen against Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay's playing better, found their way a little bit. Um, and they had played in Buffalo the night before and won a barn burner. Another Steven Stamkos night, a pair of goals, including the winner in Buffalo. But you know, when you got a team that's playing back-to-back, you want to jump on them, right? I mean, that's the way to set them back. Don't you agree, Ben? No doubt about it. And, and chemistry is everything along with that, you know? Everybody everybody has to deal with that, so. Well, I, I thought, um, I think they'd only lost one in their last seven games. And so if you jump on a team that's playing back-to-back, back-to-back with travel in between is the worst scenario for a team. It's got to be brutal. It, it can be. I mean, it's about a, an hour and a half, but you figure they, they get through, especially with overtime. They get through and they're on the road by, I don't know, 12, 12, 15, hour and a half to Boston. Got to get to the hotel room. It's, you know, it's 2.30, 3 o'clock before you're in the hotel room. And, you know, it's sometimes hard to get to sleep. But anyway, Bruins jumped on them. And it was a minute and seven seconds um, into the period when, when, Hall got his first of two goals, and, and it was a nifty play made by Carlo. The, the Bruins have really done an excellent job, and I, I think Jack Edwards or Andy Brickley mentioned it, of practicing what you would call a blue line slide by the defenseman. There's a rotation. You go from right to left, and your partner slides down. And If it comes back the other way, the opposite happens. And, but it, what it does, it, it changes the angle of your shot, changes your passing angles, makes it difficult to defend. Carlo slid got himself an angle, just wristed the puck on net, and, and Hall with a nifty little redirection, which was which was kind of nice to see. But, you know, he was the best player on the ice the other night, Taylor Hall, by far. No doubt. And, uh, you know, the first 10 minutes, it was all Boston, and then it slid downhill. Uh, they almost had a couple more, but Vasilevsky, like, like Lind, or not Lindholm, Olmark has done, made some key saves, and then Tampa started to wake up. They got a chintzy power play goal off a. I shouldn't say the power play goal was chintzy. The call was chintzy on, on Zaka. And Stamkos zipped home his 900th and 999th point. It's easy for me to say, right? Yeah, right. He only <laughs> scored almost 1,000. No big. Yeah, and they took over in the second period. But here's what I want to talk about in that second period Swayman, who, you know, was supposed to be the starting goaltender until Almark got unconscious. And then he got, Swayman got hurt. He was tremendous last night. If, if you know, I, I saw the three stars. It was Stamkos at three and Swayman at two and Hall at one, which I think is accurate. But both of these goaltenders last uh, the other night had great timely saves. And there's not going to be a controversy here with Olmark and Swayman, at least not for a while. Um, and, you know, so it's 1-1. They're in the third. And then the Bruins get that penalty call going for them. Another kind of cheapo call, but super chance. And uh, they Tampa wound up getting so aggressive. They sent all four penalty killers along the wall, and the Bruins were able to scoot it out to the middle of the ice where Lindholm took a shot. And <clears throat> it was it was Felino who raced back to the front of the net and beat everybody there. Collected a rebound, and I think he was trying to pass to Zaka, but it slid through to Hall who just slammed home a, a second goal of the night, and they got a lead, and that's pretty much all she she wrote. Did you watch that game, Ben? 
I got to see it on the highlight reel last night. I didn't get to see it live, but man, they had the excitement pumping. <laughs> I gotta tell you, man, those uh, those Pooh Bear jerseys—they're just bringing them all kinds of good luck. Oh. Apparently, <laughs> I know you weren't very keen on them, and originally not very keen. They suck. Sorry. <laughs> I gotta tell you, that was it was one of my favorites when it was yellow. So <laughs> one of those guys, but uh, it's just but it's just a great time right now to be in the Bruins organization. Well, it is, and, and it, I didn't think the Bruins. I thought Tampa had outplayed them for great stretches of that game, uh, but both teams checked pretty hard. It wasn't a pretty game, um, but I I did want to mention that Swayman. It's it's two to one, and Tampa gets a two on one, and the puck winds up on the stick of Corey Perry. Now, if you want to get, I mean, this is one of the all time great goal scorers, and Swayman, cool, calm, and collected, just flipped out his right pad and and knocked it away. It was what it was a beauty. Just, it was another indication of how lucky they are to be in this situation with the kind of caliber goaltenders they have and. Um, you know, this just keeps keeps going on. I mean, I keep shaking my head. The league, I listen to other other broadcasts, and, and the league is almost in unanimous agreement that this is, nobody saw this coming. Nobody can quite believe that it's as good as it is, but time has proven, at least for the, for the, through the quarter poll, that this is a team that has to be, well, I think you have to reorganize your thoughts when it comes to it, because it looks like it could be, the real deal. I mean, just a few short weeks and months ago, we were all sitting here going, are we sitting on the cusp of a rebuild? Are we about to see the the final round of what was? But nah, the boys have rallied. And I got to tell you, this is fun hockey to watch. Yeah, it is. The winning, you know, and I was listening to a radio show this afternoon and, the, and their hosts were bemoaning the fact that everybody was making a big deal about the 13-game home streak. Come on. Those players are going to remember this for the rest of their lives, regardless of right. what happens. It's like it's it's the fans are having fun, you know. It, you know, it's a couple of the sourpuss talk radio guys in Boston. You probably know who I'm talking. The wham wans, I like to call yeah, them. The <laughs> anyway, got a special guest coming up. John Shannon will tell you all about him if you don't know about him in a, in a minute. Uh, very talented guy, very a guy that's done just about everything in the hockey world, and a guy who's got uh, stories about just everyone in the game. So. We'll get to him right after this. Back at it here on Gloves Off Hockey with Mike Milbury, your friend Ben Rabinovitz, and all of your calls at 781-834-9639. Mike, take it away. Thank you, Ben. Uh, Our guest today is a, a guy that has done just about everything you can do in the game. He was the executive producer of Hockey Night in Canada for many years. An Emmy Award winner for his coverage of the Olympics in Salt Lake City. And then he decided he got tired of being on one side of the camera and he jumped to the other side of the camera. And he's been a hockey panelist, panelist on Sportsnet. And he's done his own podcast with Bob McGowan, well respected radio guy in Canada. And now, um, he, you know, he's become an author. Evolve or Die is the name of the book. And welcome, John Shannon, everybody. This is a guy that I think you'll find uh, entertaining and interesting. So tell me about the book, John. Well, hello, Mike, first of all. Uh, thank you for asking about the book. It, it, was, it was something that I refused to do for about 10 years. People said, you should write a book. You got lots of good stories. Um, and I said, no, that sounds like work. <laughs> and, and, and was it? Uh, and, and we're and and you and I we're in the broadcast and hockey industry. We we've never worked a day in our life. Um, <laughs> and and you know what? It was uh, it, it became a little bit of a labor of love. It took uh, most of the pandemic to get through it, but we survived and got through the pandemic with with writing uh, you know a couple thousand words a day. And in the end, it seemed to work out, and it's uh, been received well. And what it is, it's, uh, it, it's a combination of a, of a, uh, a life in the sports world. Uh, it's a little bit of hockey. It's a little bit of leadership. Uh, but it's, uh, it's not a hard read. Uh, and if you like the game and you like our business, uh, I think uh, anybody would enjoy it. You know, I, I, I was encouraged to write a book as well. And I started, I, I have 10 pages, 10 chapters in a drawer over there. And then I got almost... <laughs> I felt myself like 
do I really want to reveal this about myself? <laughs> you know, there's a lot. I mean, I mean, it really is introspective work, isn't it? There were times where you actually, uh, in the process, said, you know what, I'm going to have to admit I made mistakes. Uh, and I think that that's an important Oh, I don't have that of, in any of my oh, 10 oh, chapters. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you mean not even the Luongo trade? Come on. <laughs> anyway, just so I think there is part of it you get, you have to be introspective to be fair about it. Um, but it was, in the end, I enjoyed doing it. What I, what I hated doing it was, how many revisions they made me make. You know, I mean, we went through four or five drafts of the book to say, what well, did, did you mean this? I said, no, no, I meant exactly what I wrote on the piece of paper. <laughs> um, and, and, well, that's pretty harsh. I said, well, that's true. And I don't mind being harsh every once in a while. You know, the, the other thing was that for the longest time, and you know this, Mike, there's lots of writers out there that ghostwrite for people in our business or ghostwrite for athletes and, I didn't want a ghostwriter. This, for me, this had to be in my voice, in my narrative, and in the end, I enjoyed that part of it as well. But I'm, I'm truthfully, I'm glad it's over. I'm, I'm glad it's out, and uh, hopefully, people can enjoy it. So, tell me how you come up with the the title, "Evolve or Die." I mean, that sounds sounds like your life. <laughs> well, you know, I people used to tell me I, you know, I had nine lives. There wasn't a day that, uh, you know, if I, I mean, I, just like you, I've been fired. Um, it, it, it's, it's not a, it's not a fun day to be dismissed. Um, but every time I, I, every time I got fired, I, I've got to figure out a way how I can get back in the business, whether it be in the, in the broadcast industry or in the, in the hockey world or, or whatever. And, and so Cheers. about 15 years ago, I started to tell people that, you know, if, if you don't change, uh, you're not going to exist in the business. And, and I, I started to use, when I spoke to, to groups and spoke to students, I, I started to use the slogan, Evolve or Die. So it's, it's nothing new to me. It's, it's, it's the understanding of how the business that we are in has changed so much. The broadcast business, for sure, has changed so much. And the hockey world has changed a lot, too. It's it, it's not a mom-and-pop business anymore. It's big business. And, and there are days it may not be as much fun as it used to be. Uh, but you have to evolve with the times. There's there's one analogy in the book, whereas I, I'm a mediocre golfer at best. I love the game. I just love the game. I, would, uh, I love competition on the golf course. Uh, and there isn't one time that if I hit a bad shot that I walk to where the ball is, every time I think I can save myself. Every time I think I can hit the ball and get out of trouble. And that in many ways is a, a symbolic of how I viewed my career. Every time I get into trouble, I find a way to dig myself out. And that's kind of fun. And that's <laughs> the evolution. And that's how we got to evolve or die. Well, there was one anecdote in the book that I'd like you to just elaborate on. Uh, you're one of the few people to make a prime minister of Canada crawl across the <laughs> studio floor. It was pretty. Prime, <laughs> Pierre Trudeau was looking for some extra yeah. airtime or something. You, you tell the story. Well, so this is, uh, this is the, the fourth of the Canadian Stanley Cups. Uh, so this is uh, May of 1979, and I'm a young producer. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't I, remember I, that I, one, John. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> Too many I men on the ice. Nice. I, was try, I was trying to be nice and polite, okay? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so after they beat the big, bad Boston Bruins with Don Cherry and Mike Milbury, Montreal goes on and defeats the, uh, the New York Rangers in five games. And so game five is at the Forum. And my, one of my responsibilities once the game is in is to, to basically produce everything that's going on in the dressing room at the forum for the Canadians to celebrate. So that's, that's the key element. The other side of the story is the following day in Canada is a federal election. And it's between prime minister Pierre Elliott Trudeau and a gentleman named Joe Clark, who was the head of the conservative part. Um, but we're also in a time of, 
you know, separatism in Quebec uh, and, uh, and, and the, the volatility of politics between English Canada and French Canada. But the rules of, of government and the rules of airtime is if you show Prime Minister Trudeau on television, you have an obligation to show Joe Clark on television. So my boss at the time was a guy named Ralph Bellamy, and he said, whatever you do, do not let Prime Minister Trudeau on the air because we're going to have to find Joe Clark, wherever he is, what city he's in, and put him on the air somehow, some way. So that was simple. There's no way that Trudeau gets on the air. After the anthem starts and ends with, you know, Roger Doucette at the forum, who walks out of the, one of the vomitories at the forum and sits right behind the bench, Pierre Elliott Trudeau? <laughs> and he knows exactly what's going on. It's game five of the Stanley Cup final. And now he and now we have to find a way to cut around the bench so that the cameras don't see Trudeau at every beck and call. <laughs> so that's one thing. That's one challenge. At the end of the game, though, now I'm in charge of the dressing room. Dick Irvin's doing interviews. We've got players coming back and forth, and we're in the old part of the dressing room with the weight room. And, stand, and we're starting to get players to show up. And then I turn and look around, and who's beside me? But the PR flack for the Prime Minister. Uh, our, our Secret Service is a thing called CSIS, so a CSIS agent and the Prime Minister. And I turn, and, and they say, well, the Prime Minister wants to go through here. And I said, well, he can't go through here because he'll be on camera, and we can't put him on camera. And they said, no, no, he can go through. I said, no, no, listen. And I turned to the Prime Minister and said, Mr. Prime Minister, you know the rules better than I do. The only way you're going to get to the other side of the room to go be with the players is if you crawl under the camera. Wow. So, <laughs> so the Just secret nonchalantly. I want to know what his face looked oh, yeah. like when you said that. No, he knew. The, the, the Prime Minister knew. The PR flack and the Secret Service agent thought I was crazy. I bet. Next thing you know, as as Dick Irvin, the great Dick Irvin, is interviewing Bob Gainey. Next thing you know, Prime Minister Pierre Elliott Trudeau is crawling along the floor in the weight room at the Montreal <laughs> Forum, and there's the PR flack and the and the uh, Secret Service agent underneath the camera with him. <laughs> wow! And, uh, and Nobody Irvin, happened to get a picture of that, did they? No, there's no pictures. No, so Dick, but Dick Irvin. We do the interview with Gainey, we go to commercial, and Dick says, John, I would swear I saw the Prime Minister crawling up underneath my knees here. I said, oh, no, that was the Prime Minister. He says, who, who, why did you do that? He said, well, he couldn't put him on camera. He says, man, you're good. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, that, that, <laughs> so I think that is the day Dick knew that I was going to end up running everything. Because if I could make the Prime Minister put, get onto his hands and knees, I could do anything. <laughs> Okay, so let's move from your book to the podcast because I listened to your latest one with Scotty Bowman. Uh, is he the most, best coach you've ever seen? That's a, I, I, that's a good question. Um, I, I think there's a difference between I'm, – I'm really a fan of John Cooper's now. I think John Cooper's a really good coach. I think John Cooper's a good communicator. But what I love about Scotty is – like Scotty, again, he's, a, he's an evolution guy. The, the, the guy that I first met in the mid-70s in Montreal was a, just a pain to deal with, an absolute pain, an arrogant pain. And now, if you've listened to the show, Scotty's one of my best friends because Scotty loves. Scotty has such a passion for the game and still observes the game so well, and he's almost 90 years old now, Mike. Yes, That's I know that. That's the magic of Scotty I, Bowman. I, I, That's when the I... magic of Scotty. And Harry Sinden, too, if you talk to him, uh, and you should, because he's, oh. he's in that 90 well, we group. Had Harry that, on to, we had Harry on to talk about Team Canada 72. Oh, that's good, because I know he could coach he, of that team. Right, he couldn't make it because he wasn't feeling up to it, but um, his right. his recall is amazing. And, and oh, you know, yeah. one of the things I remember about Scotty was, I mean, he was, you're right, he was tough. I remember, this, you must have heard this story where he was worried about the guys staying out after curfew, so right around curfew time, he went to the hotel lobby and gave the doorman a stick and left just right. at curfew. And he said, get all the guys that come in uh, you know, now to sign the stick for you. And so that way wow. he was able to check everybody who was out for curfew oh, sure. the night before. I mean, it was not. I mean, I mean, the, the, the other thing was that Scotty was the type of guy, 
when you were playing, there was no glass on the sideboards, particularly in some of the older buildings like the Forum. And and Scotty would walk down to the face-off circle and yell at Bobby Clark. He wasn't waiting on the bench. He'd, he'd, he'd run down to the and, and be right across from the, the, the and, and he'd be yelling at players of the other team. I mean, he was so involved. But uh, to me, he's still got a great, such a great hockey mind um, th- oh, that he's, he's always a treat to have on, and he loves to come on, and he loves to tell stories. And all you have to do is ask one question, and then he'll tell you seven stories. It's fantastic. <laughs> and, and speaking of coaches, our old buddy Don Cherry, did he get shafted being canceled? You know, that's a good question. Um, I, it was dramatic what happened, but it's almost, he almost went out the way he wanted to go out, in my opinion, because, you know, he died on his shield. He, he died for, he, he died on the air, figuratively, obviously, uh, uh, for what he believed in. You know, they said, you can come back if you apologize. And he said, I don't want to apologize. I meant every word. Um, but it, and, it, and in the end, I also think, and I, I was over at the house the other day, um, and I, I think he's happy. I, I think that the pressure of, of not doing Saturday nights every night, and I think he's, he's got his life back. I think he go, you know, goes to his cottage, and I think he enjoys his dogs. And I, I think he's, there's a lot less pressure in Don's life, and I think he's in a good spot. So uh, did he get shafted? Yeah, a little bit. But at the same time, I think it was probably time for him to go, and he was able to go out his way. Kicking and screaming. Yeah, that's right. And listen, and we can, can yeah. I keep you a little yeah, longer? We're going right. to take a quick break, and we'll get right back to some modern-day hockey. Catch us law, bringing you Gloves Off Hockey here on 1510 WMEX. We got Mike Milbury in this corner. We got John Shannon in this corner. Boys, right back at it. Okay, John, everybody shaking their head at the Boston Bruins resurgence. I mean, Krejci comes back. Bergeron agrees to come back. Um, but it was interesting to listen to your, your podcast with Scotty. And I'll start with Boston's resurgence. You have to tip your cap to the coach, Jim Montgomery. What did you take away from what Scotty Bowman said about, about Jim Montgomery? Who had, he's got a history with his dad and, and, and knows Jim very well. Yeah, I mean, it's it certainly sounds like um, the new voice helped um, with some of the players, uh, and and without being overly critical of of Bruce, there was time for change, and, and perhaps the decision not to bring Cassidy back was the right decision, and and he, obviously from what we gleaned from Scotty, he really believes. Jim Montgomery is a, a forward-thinking coach. You know this, and we can and we see it around the league. Mike, there's the, the, you know scoring is up, offense is up, um, and the and, and so a team like Boston that has so many strong players, uh, if they feel that the handcuffs are off and they can open it up in the offensive zone, that's a that's a real positive. Dave, David Krejci uh, coming back. I mean that's a that's a huge story. Um, coming back healthy, and you you know this better than than I do. I mean, how many years did Krejci play hurt? He always seemed to be hurt, but he's come back after the year in check and and and, and is healthy and and contributing. Um, you know, Jake DeBrus doesn't have a chip on his shoulder because of the coach looking over his. Uh, and then you have Bergeron and Marchand, and Marchand's back and and back playing after what he went through in the in the off season and life's pretty good in Boston. It sure is. And you know, they have the Bergeron line with Marshan and DeBrusque now. Krejci's playing with Zaka and Pasternak, who were very good in yeah. the preseason, have been were pretty good at times. And Taylor Hall sits on the third line with Charlie Coyle and Trent Frederick. That's a pretty darn good third line, isn't it? Well and and as a coach you would understand this better than most is that Sometimes teams, you know, stars versus stars can uh, neutralize each other. So it's your third line that oftentimes is more successful. 
And to put Taylor Hall in that role, because we know the skill he has, uh, we know he can shoot the puck. Um, and and Ch- Charlie Coyle is one of those guys that y- you, I've always thought, I, I thought he was terribly underrated in Minnesota. Uh, so to have him come back to Boston and, and play as consistently as he has is a real bonus. But to have a third line with those two guys on it for sure is uh, is massive. And you know what? For the Bruins to go get Pavel Zaka and reinvent Pavel Zaka, because he was a guy that was a high draft pick for New Jersey, got plenty of chances there, but was not in the right system at the right time. And now I think he's in the right system at the right time of his life. He's grown up a lot. Uh, he understands what it is to be a pro now, and the Bruins are taking advantage of that. And and the same with Taylor Hall. I mean, you would, five years ago, if he'd been put on the third line, he would have been squawking like, you know, you know. a chicken, I, I think. And probably rightly right, so. But I mean, let, let's remember what he's, you know, the humble pie he's had to eat. When you consider that the only team that was willing to offer him a deal was a one-year deal in Buffalo. So by the time he was traded to Boston, you know, he, he had to reevaluate how he played the game and who he listened to. Um, and he wasn't going to, he wasn't going to be on that top tier of players with Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid. He was going to be a, he was going to be a, a role player. And once you accept to be a role player, it's fun to be a role player. And he's, he's adapted to that and he's done a very good job with it. You know, yesterday, uh, again, referring to your podcast, you guys were talking about the coaching recycling bin. And it really is amazing to see the number of coaches that were fired, obviously capable coaches. A guy like Cassidy goes to Vegas. He turns that team into a non-playoff team last year. I know they had some issues, but they're they're cooking. Pete DeBoer, all of a sudden Dallas looks like they're going to they're going to challenge. Who else was yep. out there that you mentioned well, yesterday? Rick Bonus. Rick yeah, Rick Bonus. Bonus, of course. Winnipeg seems legit. And and I guess the oh, commonality is legit. the yeah. commonality is uh, simply um a change in voices. I, I guess that has to be it. It's, it's, do the modern-day player need to have a, a touchy-feely guy? Is that where we're going? I, first of all, I, I, I don't think that uh, Pete DeBoer is a touchy-feely guy. And, and believe it or not, right now, I don't think Rick Bonus is a touchy-feely guy. I think at 68 years old, Rick Bonus is coming in and said, here's how I'm doing. If you don't like me, get rid of me. <laughs> uh, and, and he said to the players, by the way, you know what? Uh, we're we're doing this with the captaincy, and we're doing that with the captaincy. And if you play more than fifty five seconds on a shift, we're not going to play you. And if you don't like the rules, then you know we're not going to play anyway. So, you know what? It's so funny, I, John. I think, I think what's happened. I think what's happened in Winnipeg might be different than what's happened in Boston. I think yeah. that you know every every coach is putting their own voice in it for the short term. You wonder how long it will last. Well, you know. I hired and fired Rick Bonus three times. I hired him to be our head coach in the American <laughs> in the American Hockey League. I hired him to be the head coach in Boston, and I hired him to be the head coach of the New York Islanders. And the one thing I always wanted of him, you know, he's a great, one of the great guys in the business. I just wanted him to be more of a. I wanted him to be more in charge. He was in charge, but it was there was there was never any. There was never any bite to his coaching. There was never any. I mean, and that was at a time when you could use a little, I don't know, hardcore discipline. But, you know, he certainly knew his stuff. And then he he became everybody's assistant and a great assistant. Now over 2,000 games coaching, which is a remarkable feat. But I I think if if what you tell me is true, it's what I was waiting for all those times I hired him. So, well, and I, I do, I do think it's happened, Mike, and I, I, I think he learned it in Dallas, where, you know, there were accusations that the inmates were running the penitentiary in Dallas. You know, it was whatever Jamie and Tyler were doing, you know, and and a few of the other guys, and and they had a pipeline to ownership, and so I think when Rick got to the point in his life where he said, listen, if I'm going to coach one more time, I'm going to do it my way. And if they don't like it, I'm gone. He finally realized what that way was. But 
he has given this team structure. This was a team that was very much allowed to be a player-driven dressing room, uh, and and the leadership group was viewed as selfish. And he's changed all that. And and I I, I do a lot of games in Winnipeg, and I, I tell you right now they have impressed in being a team again, and that's why they're winning. That's why they're eight games over 500 right now is because they're playing as a team and Blake Wheeler isn't more important than the fourth line center and Mark Shifley isn't more important than Adam Lowry and the Jets and and a lot of it points right back at the Rick bonus coming in and saying hey boys this is the rules if you live by the rules we're going to have fun if you don't live by the rules you're not going to play well I mean and and the goaltender's been excellent of course but let me let's keep the focus out west this Dreisaitl McDavid combination is. Have you seen anything like it? A one-two punch ever? It's no, a hard question. Um, it's, this is. I mean, uh, McDavid can skate away from everybody. Dreisaitl, uh, any any other team, especially if these guys were in. Imagine if they were in Manhattan, they'd be on oh. the cover of every magazine across the country. They'd be. It, it's just oh. they sparkle every night, don't they? We used to say that. What if Wayne lived in somewhere other than Edmonton? And look what happened when it when he did. It changed the game forever. Um, you, you know, and and here's the thing. Um, you know, you don't want to take a penalty against Edmonton. You just can't afford it. And by the way, never go to overtime against Edmonton because you won't win. <laughs> they will destroy you. They, they, in, in fact, Mike, I would tell you right now <laughs> that the Oilers might be better to take offsetting penalties uh, to go four-on-four than have a power play at times because their four-on-four with McDavid and Dreisaitl is so effective because they take advantage of the whole ice surface. They move the puck faster. They skate faster. They do everything with such precision in the offensive zone, the two of them. And then you get a guy like Ryan Nugent Hopkins who understands his role and can be that buffer between the two. They are... uh, they are an absolute machine uh, when it comes. They, they're in fact they're on TNT tonight, uh, the second game. They're in Chicago, and that's a that's really important to make sure that more American viewers get to see how successful and how good these guys can be. Because I, I I get to work a lot of those games, and they're a treat to be around just because of the way they move the puck. It is fun to watch them. And now that they're in Chicago, let, let me ask you this. Should Taze and Kane walk in and ask to be traded? Isn't that best for both parties? Um, it's funny. I, I, I suspect I, – I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you a strange answer. If I'm Jonathan Taves, I don't because I'm Jonathan Taves. I'm the captain of the Blackhawks. I'm going to play it out, and I don't know how long I'm going to play. But if I'm Patrick Kane, I'm going in and saying I want to be traded and here's the two teams or three teams that I want to go to because I want to win one more cup. You know, Jonathan Taves, is, you know, he's had health issues. Uh, you know, he missed a whole season because of, of, of a blood disorder. Uh, so I, I would tell you that he might be a little more patient in that scenario. Uh, but if I'm Patrick Kane, the answer to, me, to you is absolutely I'd be going somewhere to win another cup. Yeah, I, I think there'd be quite a line of teams that would be interested if they could manage the money, which is always an issue. Um, Colorado, they've stumbled a bit. Is that because of the injuries or just because it's a hangover? Or do you still think they're the team to beat coming out of the West? I don't, you know, you know, I don't know who the team to beat in the West is because I would, I mean, I, I would, I've been impressed with Vegas until Seattle beat them. I've been impressed with Dallas. Uh, until uh, Winnipeg beat them, uh, you know it, it is a it, it is a catch-all right now in the West. Colorado, I'm not worried about. They're not healthy right now. They're not 100 percent there. Uh, I think their goaltending is actually better this year than last. I think Georgiev is better than Kemper. Uh, so oh, yeah. this no is doubt. one where, where you ask me in March. I think that I think that Colorado will be near the top and be in a pretty good position to repeat. And you mentioned them. Seattle Kraken. I mean, this is a team that has they, – they've only had two drafts, but they only have one yep. draft pick on their roster. The rest are retooled veterans that have been, in most cases, multiple stops. 
Uh, I guess the goaltender's been outstanding, Jones, although last night you watched that game, <laughs> 9-8. to eight. I mean, wacky and wild, but Seattle wins again. He got the W, though. That's the key. He got the W. Um, up, up until last night, Martin Jones, is to me, is we don't have an award. We have too many awards in hockey already, Mike. We don't have an award for comeback player of the year. Uh, to me, it is Martin Jones. I mean, he's, he's done a, a very good job in Seattle. Well, Philip Grubauer is still not where he should be based on the amount of money they pay him. But I, I, w- I will tell you that they're fast. They are really fast. And and the, the tweaks that Ron Francis has been able to make over the last year, which is uh, Burakovsky out of Colorado, uh, Bjorkstrand out of Columbus, Maddie Beneers, who played at the University of Michigan, was their first-round pick, has come in. He's a sniper. Uh, and they got a big defense. They have a big defense when you think of uh, of guys like uh, Adam Larson uh, and Alexiak. You know they're 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 built the right way. Ron Francis has done a good job in the short term. Um, I'm not sure he's done yet because he still has a ton of cap space. Uh, but they're going to they're they're doing the right thing. He got a lot of pressure after the first season. And we've got to be better. And he said, "Hold your horses, boys. We're going to build this the right way." They've got their first round pick, a kid named Shane Wright who was supposed to be number one overall and dropped to four, they're probably going to let him go to the World Junior Championship team for Canada, and then they will. They may even send him back to the OHL because they don't really need him this year, and then they could save a year of his contract. So they, they've done, Ron's done a lot of really smart things in Seattle, and, and I think they're a lot farther ahead than people would have ever recognized based on their first season. One last thing before I let you go to dinner. Um, Toronto surging, Marner streaking. Can this last? Morgan Riley's out. Jake Muzzin's out. The goaltenders are like coaches recycled. Uh, yeah. And the Heat has to be on in Toronto. Do they have the goods to be a conference finalist? Tell you what, you, uh, and you, you, if you listened to the show yesterday, the one guy that Scotty was complimentary of, of becoming a two hundred foot player was Austin Matthews. Yeah, I heard that. Uh, and, and I, uh, that, that I, I was taken aback by that, you know, Austin Matthews is not going to score, may not score 50 goals this year, like he did last, but he'll probably score 40 and be a more complete player. Uh, the guy who's had an unbelievable season here is John Tavares. He's finally delivering the way they expected him to, when they signed him to a seven year, 11 million per year, uh, contract. Um, and, What's happened on the defense without Riley, without Muzzin, without T.J. Brody, is that they've they've allowed their young lung defensemen to be contributors, and in the end, it's going to pay off because they're playing well. Matt Murray's been good in goal. Ilya Samsonov is playing tonight against San Jose. He's been solid now, but he got hurt, so this is his first game back. They might be right now, Mike, a more complete team than they were at any point last year. The question will become, and and you know this ten times better than I do because you've played the game at, at an elite level, do they have the edge and the toughness to win a playoff round? The regular season's a moot point. They're going to make the playoffs. But can they, can they take a punch? Can they give a punch? Can they push back when a playoff series is on? Because we know the Bruins can do it. We've seen Tampa do it. And those are the two teams that they're going to be facing in their own division at this point. And that's going to be the big challenge for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And as as the heat is on enough now in Toronto, I think that that Brendan Shanahan and Kyle Dubas have to be worried about their jobs. Maybe they're not worried about it, but there has to be concern for their futures if they don't get out of this first round. I I think that's very accurate. In fact, I would, I would almost suggest if they're, if they continue to be this successful, because they 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 came they came home from a West Coast swing, four four and three. Well, they've only lost once since then. I mean, I think they're 15, 15, five and and four. I mean, they've been really good, really good. Um, but it doesn't matter. The regular season doesn't matter here. It's all about what you do those that first ten days of April when you're in the playoffs, and if they play Tampa in the first round and can't get through Tampa, 
or they pay the Bruins in the first round, and we all know what the Bruins do to the Maple Leafs in the playoffs. If that's the case, uh, then I'd be getting your resume ready. Okay, the name of the book is Evolve <laughs> or Die, and uh, I think you can uh, safely say that's been a highly entertaining and informative couple of segments, John. Um, if I don't talk to you, have a great holiday season, and continued good luck with the book. Thanks for being on. Thank you. Amazon.com. It's available uh, on Amazon.com. So uh, enjoy. All right. And, Very and Merry good. Christmas to you guys, too. Thank Merry you. Merry Christmas. All right, Ben, let's quick break and we'll wrap it up. Thank you very much to CatchThisLaw.com for keeping us rocking and rolling. Mike, it's been a wild week. That was great to hear from John Shannon. Uh, great guest. Yeah, I mean, to get the prime minister of his country to crawl across the floor. <laughs> kind yeah. of a funny deal. I mean, I, I will go That's out and get his... That's a golf clap. <laughs> yeah, Evolve or Die is the name of the book. We didn't get to a lot of things, but I <clears throat> I honestly believe that Toronto doesn't have the depth. And Matt Murray has been, I don't know, up and down over the last several years. He came back to play some pretty good goal here early on for Toronto. Simsonov was given up on by Washington. And I just don't think they have the depth on defense and the goaltending combination that gets them to where they want to be. I don't think it's going to going to happen. But one team that is lighting it up all over the place is the the New Jersey Devils. Right. I mean, down to the Rangers a couple and and then roared back and they they have a saying in now in New Jersey, they have to be they've learned to be comfortable in uncomfortable spots. All four lines scored in the game against the Rangers. 10, 10 straight road wins. We're talking about a Bruins team that wins at home. This team wins on the road. But they're spaying, playing with incredible speed. The goaltending issue has been solved. Vanacek has been incredible. Their defense is much better than I expected. And, of course, their strength up front. Jack Hughes is on fire, five goals in the last three games. And he got an alley-oop pass coming out of the New Jersey zone the other I night. I saw that. Was what that a something? play. What a hand-eye coordination play. It was just, I mean, you, Dawson Mercer couldn't have laid in this alley-oop, which is about, what would you call it, about 65, 75 feet? Easily, easily. And, and it used it, caught up to it in full speed, one-on-one against the goaltender, and that's all she wrote. It was it was a thing of beauty. So he's on fire, and Jesper Bratt still going strong, 26 points. And right behind him is the other overall first-round draft pick, Heischer, but I'd be worried about their special teams. Penalty killing is not particularly good. And the power play absolutely needs some work. Uh, yeah. But I want to make sure we don't run out of time here because I want to finish up on the Bruins. What do we got left Still here? got about five, six minutes here. Okay. So we all agree. Nobody saw it coming 19-3. and three. So where, where is Don Sweeney's head right now, do you think, Ben? I don't even know. I mean, between all the off-season drama and then – Coming out strong out of the gate through all the criticism, the guy's got to be able to stand tall and go. You know what? We built this ship, and she's a steady one. I don't know well, how else to put it. I mean, right. So if 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 it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. Right. I mean, but but having said that, you know, it's always better as a general manager to trade from a position of strength rather than a position of panic. Um, and all around the trading deadline day that you you can see you you go back over history there are way more lousy trade deadline days than there are good ones although Don Sweeney happened to make one for uh, for Lindholm that's been outstanding but yeah right so so if he's looking around and there's been a lot of talk that he's been looking around what are you looking for you certainly got to check the goaltending box right Swayman was brilliant in the last game and looks like he's picking it up uh, there's there's no reason to think they'd shop either one of them, is there? I don't know. I did hear a rumor. Uh, tell me what you think. I heard they're looking at Patrick Kane at the cost of maybe a draft pick, Carlo and DeBrusque. Would you make that trade? Who? I, right? Yeah. <laughs> you got to stop and think about that for a second. Right. Um, Patrick Kane for Carlo, DeBrusque, and a first pick? Maybe not a first, but a draft pick. I would have to imagine. Well, maybe maybe it would have to be a first. Who knows? I don't know. I mean, I have no idea if that's a real offer, but it would. I mean, Patrick Kane is pretty special. He is money and, money and, wise. That one does work. And I'm out. not. I'm not. I'm Carlos. Okay, he had a good game last night, but uh, it wouldn't kill me to see him go. But it does nick the depth of your defense. 
they'd have to follow that up with some other deal. And DeBrusque, you know, he's played very well. And he's young, much younger, much cheaper than Kane. And, you know, got a future. He's not, it doesn't have a Patrick Kane future. If this is really the last hurrah with Bergeron and Krejci, boy, you'd have to look at that and, and, you know, think about it. For sure, think about it, whether you could finagle maybe another prospect as opposed to a first-round draft pick, because those are, those are gold when it comes to maintaining your team's competitive balance. True that. But, but anyway, goaltending box gets checked. They don't have to worry about it. The, the defense box is checked, except for maybe depth. I mean... There's two number one defensemen in Lindholm and McAvoy. Four boards back. He's got some bite. I like that. Penalty killing, block shot. Clifton having a, a money season, you know, his best ever. Grizzlick, I worry about his, his, his ability to stay healthy. And the same with Carlo. So, and I ha- I'm not happy with Zborl so far. And Strawman and Riley are on their way to Providence if they're not there already. So def- defense depth is the one area I'd be looking around at. Um and up front, I mean, there's, you can't complain about anything. There's really nothing to complain about. They don't need anything. Could they have more goal scoring? Well, they lead the league in goal scoring. I mean, For the first I, time, I think we can say no. They, they don't need any more goal scoring at the moment. Yeah, so there's no need to panic. On the other hand, uh, if they perceive they've got a need, you know, whether it's defensive depth or whether they, they want to go for it all with a player of, Patrick Kane's caliber, uh, it's it's not a bad idea to be talking. I mean, it's really not a bad idea to be talking, but there there has to be no should be no pressure. I mean, they may have to fool around with their salary cap a little bit, but when you're the Bruins and you're sitting with Taylor Hall and Charlie Coyle on your on your third line, somebody's done something right. It's certainly not a bad situation. I could agree with you all day on that and. Needless to say, an exciting season, and it continues on. We've still barely even cracked the ice here, no pun intended. <laughs> no, we, we haven't, but everybody generally commits to the, the quarter pole as being a time to reevaluate. And that's why, you know, as we approach the Christmas trade deadline, which I don't even know where that is right now, um, there gets to be a lot more phone activity. It doesn't always result in... Um, doesn't always result in, in actual trades, but people start thinking about what they really need. And, and the teams particularly that are have made headway, I mean Dallas, for example, they're, they've got a bunch of young players. That, by the way, they just signed Rupe Hints to a long-term eight, deal. Yeah, eight years at about $8 million a year. Good for him. And Yeah, good for him. And Jason Robertson, first star of the week, and he's scoring. He's the league leader in goals scored. And Ottinger, their goaltender, has been terrific. So – Maybe they perceive something's going on, and maybe they're shopping in the market. No doubt about it. It's going to be an interesting couple of weeks, but interesting the Bruins square off against Colorado. Some of the iron comes to town. Uh, Nice to chat, Ben. We'll talk to you next week. Always a pleasure, Mike. Thank you so much. And to all of our listeners out there, thank you very much for joining us here on Gloves Off Hockey, found only on 1510 AM, Quincy, Boston. And translator W266DQ 101.1 FM in Weymouth and streaming online at WMEXBoston.com.